You're listening to a podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie. In this podcast, Thomas Kilroy, noted Irish playwright and member of the Abbey Theatre Board of Directors, recalls his earliest experience of theatre and discusses his writing career and influences. The um, background contact with theatre for me was the, the world of the fit-ups and um, of touring companies, uh, Anya McMaster being the obvious, obvious one, who came to Callan. And uh, so we saw a lot of Shakespeare and restoration comedy through McMaster and people like him. There were at least four or five other companies uh, that were on a regular basis touring, uh, some of them English. And um, they were remarkable, really, um, uh, wonderful uh, kind of um, uh, seat of the pants uh, theatre, uh, and sometimes quite powerful. I also had uh, an immediate kind of uh, contact with McMaster in that we had a very um, good teacher of English, uh, a man called Peter Birch, a priest in Cairns, who eventually became a quite radical bishop in his day. And he was far-sighted in all kinds of ways, not least of which in introducing us to kind of contemporary writing and stuff like that. Um, now, it was either he, I can't remember, but it was either he or another priest who brought McMaster into our Leavenstone class. He must have been touring in Kilkenny. So this individual arrived with the dyed hair and the day makeup and the uh, extravagant costume <laughs> and sat on a chair in front of the class. And the, the only way I can describe it to you is that he took us through Hamlet. Uh, in a mixture of kind of commentary and acting parts, uh, you know, uh, a doddery Polonius and a simpering <laughs> Ophelia. It was wonderful. Um, um, but he took us through the play in great detail. And it was my first contact with great acting because I was sitting just a few yards away from him. And um, he had he had to control unruly school boys who found him funny, you know, and he did control them. Um, but uh, that kind of experience of of uh, meeting theatre and the raw, as it were, had a huge effect upon me. I think. Um, I have a memory, and I don't know whether it's accurate or not, that I was actually in at a performance in the old building. From the, uh, up in the gallery, but I certainly was at several productions in the Queen's. One in particular which was uh, quite striking, and that was the experience of watching Walter Mackin on the stage as an actor. The Major B. Holmes, the hero, but he was wonderful and he had the same quality as McMaster. In fact, I think quite influenced by that type of acting. Very large, um, overdressed, or, uh, overdone in many respects, but theatre. And um, the fact that he was uh, somebody that I knew a little bit about from Galway 
um, that was interesting in itself. But uh, I saw other productions as well, and I, I can't remember them with as much vividness as Walter Mackin. Kilroy recalls writing his first plays and the process of getting them to the stage. First thing I wrote for, uh, first thing I finished really, it was a, uh, a radio play called The Door. And uh, at this point I was, I was um, lecturing in UCD, but um, I had been writing The Door for some time and it was based upon a story told by my father. Uh, as a sergeant of the guards, uh, then, that one of his duties was bringing mentally ill people into the asylum. And he came back on one occasion, I remember, from uh, this uh, tragic journey, and his thumb was totally without any blood, it was white. And uh, the unfortunate man that he was bringing to hospital had held his thumb with such force that has kind of drained the blood out of it and he had an awful trouble getting the circulation back. And this stayed with me, and it was the basis of this play. And um, I entered the play in a competition for, I suppose, for first radio plays uh, for the BBC in the north of Ireland in Belfast, and I won it. And uh, they gave me a wonderful production with Cyril, Cyril Cusick, Godfrey Quigley and a couple of other very good actors and so I actually met acting at a very high level at a very early stage and uh, it had the effect of uh, you know making me ambitious <laughs> for the future and it went on and it uh, done a couple of times uh, translated into a number of languages and but um, it was just kind of working with Cyril and Godfrey you know in rehearsal and um, uh, I stayed friends with them afterwards. But um, um, Godfrey was in, um, there was a company in Dublin called The Globe, uh, run by Jim Fitzgerald and Godfrey with Norman Rodway and um, their respective ladies. Um, um, really good company, and it did a lot of modern American and European plays with Jim Fitz as director. So Godfrey was working with The Globe Cyril, I'm not sure. Cyril had his own company, and he used to do productions in the Gaiety um, ever so often. Um, he did O'Casey and Shaw and things like that, and uh, he and Maureen performed in the company. So he may have been that may have been what he was up to, but it was great to work with them. I was writing two plays at the time, and um, I finished them. And um, I was flogging them around Dublin, the O'Neill and the Death and Resurrection of Mr. Roach. And um, eventually, um, the, um, the Death and Resurrection of Mr. Roach was performed at the uh, Theatre Festival in 68. And um, um, it was. Um, Taken up by Jim Fitzgerald, really, that's, this is what happened to it. Uh, I couldn't get it on here. Uh, Mr. Blythe didn't like it one bit. And I was very close to T.P. McKenna. And T.P., um, he was a particular friend of Tom McIntyre's. 
um, and it was through Tom that I got to know TP. And TP took an interest in both of us, in fact. But Tom was at that stage writing short stories, not plays. And um, he became very interested in, in Mr. Roach, and he took the Mr. Roach into the Abbey. So I don't know what actual process, uh, reading process uh, or whatever, took place, but um, I eventually heard, uh, it was a time when, when the Abbey was, um, was changing quite a bit. It was, it, had, it was moving into the new building, um, and moving away from the Queen's, uh, so that there was that going on. The other very, very important thing that was happening at the time was Thomas McConaughey had arrived into the theatre, and he hasn't been given nearly as, as enough credit because he actually was a, a radical uh, presence in the Abbey at this time. And um, he wrote to me a very kind letter saying that uh, the managing director had turned down Mr. Roach. Um, but what he said was, uh, um, the theatre is not ready for it as yet. You know, words to that effect. And that was very um, uh, encouraging for me. Um, it wasn't the first play I wrote. The first play I wrote was The O'Neill. And I sent that to the Abbey. And I actually got a very warm response from Ernest Blythe, um, uh, who effectively said that it was um, it would be very difficult to do it in the resources until the new building was open, and the new Peacock would come into existence. And he thought it would be an ideal place for the new Peacock, and that actually is what happened. It was eventually done after Mr. Road. It was done in the Peacock. So. Um, uh, the second play was done first, and, um, and then the O'Neill came after that. Next, Thomas Kilroy discusses the strengths of the old Abbey Theatre Company, and in particular, leading actress Siobhan McKenna. Well, I'd say the the um, uh, you know the, the, there's a lot said about the pre 1950s Abbey, and um, you know that. The unkind things have been said about it, including unkind things said by myself about it. And um, it is true that the pre-1950s Abbey was in its kind of doldrums. But I think it had more to do with writing than anything else. Mm. The actors uh, and people like Ria Mooney were quite extraordinary, you know, and when they got the material uh, the Golden Brothers, uh, Bill Foley, you know, uh, people like that. When they got the material, uh, they, they lifted themselves. And you saw how good they were, like the um, production of Long Day's Journey and Tonight, which everybody talks about. So I had a lot, an awful lot of respect for that generation of actors. And, uh, but I was mostly dealing with, uh, I knew them, of course, people like Jeff Golden, but I, I didn't really work with them. I worked with a younger group uh, who, were then, who were coming in at that point. And um, um, they were great, you know. I mean, Irish acting is just wonderful and uh, wonderful to work with. I don't think I've ever uh, consciously uh, written a, a part for a particular actor, except in the case of Double Cross mm. and Stephen Ray, 
But that was very particular reason for that, in the sense that Stephen became involved uh, at a very early stage in the planning of the play itself. And uh, <clears throat> so that would be an example. But you do, when you're writing a play, you're constantly thinking of actors. So you have actors kind of in and out of your head, playing bits of stuff, and you're testing it against particular styles of acting. Acting is part of the writing process of a play, and if it isn't, it's not going to be a play, it'll be something else. And so that um, uh, while you're not actually consciously thinking of a particular part, there was one other case, uh, and it's much later too, and that uh, is the case of Ghosts, my version of Ghosts. Uh, most of the versions of plays, indeed all of them that I've done, have been um, uh, dictated by other people. It's a question of other people coming to me and saying, could you do this? And um, in that instance, it was a case of Phyllis Ryan and Siobhan McKenna. And Siobhan wanted very much to work with me. Uh, she was a great admirer of uh, tea and sex and Shakespeare. She and Buggy used to read it <laughs> as entertainment. She, she, she and Phyllis got this notion that uh, the Ibsen could be adapted to Ireland uh, with a priest and a woman as central to the thing. And uh, so I said, I'd love to have a go at this. And off I went. And uh, it must have taken me quite a while to write it because what happened is Siobhan died. And uh, so she never saw the uh, the actual play, but um, um, so Siobhan would have been an example of um, my trying to write for her. I saw some of the, uh, you know, I saw her St. Joan uh, with Hilton and Michael. Her St. Joan was mesmerizing, absolutely mesmerizing, because um, you have to think of something like Saive, you know, <laughs> to think of the quality that was there. It was a very pure... Uh, performance um, and people sometimes complained about her as not having a, a total control over what she was doing but that's rubbish um, she was actually a, a very uh, disciplined actor and um, she had this quality of for want of a better term spirituality on the stage and um, a kind of um, um, just a quality of, of stillness and uh, wonderful, absolutely wonderful. But um, and she was a very powerful personality in her in her own way. Kilroy recalls the Abbey premiere of Tea and Sex and Shakespeare, directed by Max Stafford Clark in 1976 and the opportunity to revise it for the revival produced by Rough Magic Theatre in 2012. This was McConaugh, um, and McConaugh got Max involved. Um, he felt it should have a non-Irish director, mm -hmm. um, just to distance the whole thing a bit. And um, so I met Max. Um, in fact, I was in the States, and Max came out to visit me. Uh, McConaughey flew him out, which was very, uh, very good. And um, then Donald became involved, Donald McCann. Um, so it was a, a really a strong kind of team. The problem was the play. The play was uh, needed at least another bath 
I didn't get that. Um, I managed to do that when I came to the Rock Magic revival of it. Um, and there was confusion, you know, as to what exactly was going on, this crazy thing, you know. And uh, um, I remember May Klusky, the wonderful May Klusky, turning to me at one point and saying, they're not going to have a clue what's happening. <laughs> and she was right, but she was still very funny. I do, I, th I think I'm slow in, in um, clarifying where I'm going in the writing of plays and it takes me a while and sometimes it doesn't quite gel and um, so that the revisiting of a play is um, is very helpful for me and um, I've done the same with Double Cross and um, I think that um, uh, certainly in that instance of T and Sexton and Shakespeare the the kind of unifying of the play and giving it a unity and, and saying surrendering to the madness in it and saying that's it it is mad and uh, go with it um, I think there's a help and certainly was with that uh, revival I think it, it it's an argument for not for every writer I mean there are writers who have such a finished sense of their work that like Brian um, that uh, this doesn't apply but for writers who are who are uh, kind of um, uh, moving and changing and adapting and exploring and whatever. I think it's an argument for a workshop mm. process. Um, and certainly it would, uh, I, found that, I find that kind of process very helpful. It also led to the um, great relationship with Max. And I came back to work with Max several times again after that. And um, and I just finished recently working with him in New York, and uh, so it's it's that was a good a good part of it. Kilroy describes working on Talbot's Box, directed by Patrick Mason, and featuring comedian John Malloy as Matt Talbot in 1977 and 1978. I think this brings up the whole question of Patrick Mason in my life, yes. and. Uh, a hugely important presence uh, and somebody that I've worked with many times and um, who I find um, um, a director particularly in tune with the writing process. I mean, there are different kinds of directors, um, but he's somebody who has um, a real understanding of writing and of the way in which writing, uh, if you wish, has to be theatricalized, you know, and how it can be theatricalized. So that uh, he was, uh, it was, the first time I worked with him was on Talbot's Box. And uh, you have one question here about um, the um, individuals who are challenging to work with. Yes. Well, that was an example <laughs> of, of serious challenge, not with Patrick, but with John Malloy. And John is a stand-up comic mm -hmm. uh, and uh, a brilliant stand-up comic, very funny, who um, did the halls and... Um, performed as a stand-up comedian in, in Dublin for many years and was less known as an actor. And like a lot of comics, he turned out to be a great actor. 
you know, and that um, um, Pat Short type of thing, you know, where you had yeah. this uh, great comic skill, great timing, and a great sense of playing the audience. Well, Malloy had that in spades, um, but he was a very difficult man to work with, partly because I think of the lack of experience with the group, you know, that he was used to being the figure, the figure alone on stage. <clears throat> so there was that element in it. But also partly the, the fact that he was just uh, very awkward and difficult. And um, a curious thing happened with that play, in that John himself was a man of uh, a total reprobate. <laughs> you know, he was um, he had the jar and the women, women in, in legions of women, and here he was playing this saintly ascetic Dublin class <laughs> character um, who was uh, was an, a mystic. And as the play went on, as the production went on, Malloy became more and more identified with this. And it was just scary to watch. He, he became Matt Talbot. And it was the only time I've ever had this. <laughs> well, I've had, I've had something similar with Stephen and, and William Joyce. But this was uncanny what happened. Now the play, um, the play. Uh, this might help to understand uh, what, what I'm talking about. When I started out writing this play, I wanted to. I wrote this play out of anger, and I wanted to write a send-up of this figure of Matt Talbot. And as the character became created, he wouldn't allow me to do this. And it was a tug of war where the character, um, uh, as it were, insisted upon his integrity. And I found myself writing more and more uh, empathetically with the character than I had started out with. Mm. And I think something similar happened with Malloy. Something similar where he, he found some kind of basis of connection, where he became the saintly figure. And by God, if you interrupted this process uh, in performance or whatever, you heard about it. Um, not only that, but when it was on in the Peacock, I mean, around the corner you have the Pro Cathedral and you have the um, uh, Tal Matt Talbot confraternity. Yes, indeed. And they started to come into the play. And I will never forget this. I've stood at the back of the peacock watching and there were rows of women holding up rosary beads to John Malloy <laughs> on the stage. It was uncanny because you see the thing is that uh, Matt Talbot tri is triumphant in that play. He's not, you know, he becomes uh, something bigger than anybody else. And uh, uh, people, these people kind of tapped into that, you know. But the rosary beads held up like this, in, uh, standing at the back of the peacock, looking down into it. So that was, that was an example of, of a challenge with him. Thomas Kilroy spent much of his working life as a literary academic and lecturer. 
he discusses the value of a teaching career. I taught a great deal of drama, and um, so something like uh, early 17th century English plays, uh, um, the later Shakespeare, Webster, people like that, Beaumont and Fletcher, um, gave me a grounding and a perspective so that um, you're, you're not just looking at the local scene through local eyes, you know, you're, you're drawing upon something else, the experience of this extraordinary theatre. And um, I think that that's the main value of it. And of course, you can get that without being an academic. You can just simply get, develop the interest and read the plays or look at the plays yourself. So that um, I think that the, the um, academic life came very much as, in a second place for me. You know, it was a job. And for a variety of reasons, I had to have a job. And um, there was no way, uh, two ways about it. But um, simply, I think that teaching um, is, um, you know, it's a good grounding for a writer um, because you're communicating with an audience and um, you're d dealing with the, the imagination of other people um, and all of that is connected somehow. A regular theatre goer, Kilroy has been influenced by a number of different theatre forms and writers. I've been very much influenced by non-Irish theatre and um, um, I don't know what that is, whether it's, uh, I don't think it's trying to be different or anything like that. It's just simply the way that uh, my mind is and uh, my taste is. Uh, I mean, there are writers that I admire enormously, like my contemporaries here. Um, and very fortunate to be part of a group of writers who are as good as that. Um, uh, Brian and Tom and uh, Tom McIntyre and people like that. So you have that and you are going back into the you have people like Dennis Johnson, who I find very interesting as well. Yes. Um, um, but um, I wouldn't see any kind of direct, maybe I'm wrong, but mm. I, I wouldn't see any kind of direct influence as such. I'd be, I think I've been in, influenced by... Um, uh, to some extent, anyway, by uh, American theatre. Um, but um, mm. possibly very influenced by the uh, Brechtian productions of Thomas McConaughey. You know, the productions he did. Uh, he did uh, St. John of the Stockyards with Siobhan McKenna. Yes. And um, um, his productions were uh, very illuminating. Um, uh, Enrico Quattro, um, Henry the Fourth, and um, um, I saw them at a, an impressionable time in my life as well. You know so that uh, I like that kind of scale. But um, I mean, I admire an enormous amount and variety of plays. Um, um, I love early 17th century English play, drama, Jacobean drama. Um, I love American plays, particularly Tennessee Williams. 
you know. So um, there's a huge amount of stuff that I, I kind of respond to positively. And uh, Brecht, I like uh, his his work. So um, and it's varied, you know. It's yeah. not in one territory. I think that unquestionably the um, um, what has changed most dramatically in my lifetime um, is directing. Um, that um, when I went into the theatre for the first time, there, there, were, there were a number of extraordinary directors around. Um, and I'm not saying they weren't. Uh, you know, like Jim Fitzgerald, Hilton Edwards, Thomas McConaughey himself, uh, um, people like Barry Casson. Uh, really talented people, um, but there is now, I think, a greater sense of directing and a greater variety of directing and directing styles, and the the importance of the director has become much more pronounced, and I think that that's a positive positive thing. I mean, the, the kind of things which um, had a big effect on me as a young person uh, tended to happen outside Ireland. Um, one of the most remarkable things that I ever saw in theatre was in, in Paris in the 60s. And it would have been before 1968 when the students hit the Odeon. In the Odeon Theatre, um, a production of Flaubert's uh, St. Anthony. Uh, and I think it's a play, this production had an effect on the writing of Talbot's Box. Um, and it starred Jean-Louis Barrault and uh, uh, Maurice Béjar. Maurice Béjar. Um, he was a, a choreographer, a Swiss choreographer, directed the play. And he had this big ramp down through the middle of the, the, the Odeon. I had never seen anything like it in my life. So that all the Oriental fantasies of St. Anthony came marching down that ramp. Wonderful production. And Barrow was uh, amazing. Um, so it was things like that. And um, the production like um, uh, John Osborne's uh, The Entertainer with Olivia in the, in the court, you know, that where you see this kind of acting, um, uh, kind of something beyond the human almost, you know, kind of almost monstrous. Um, these are things that stay with you and that become challenging in, in the writing of new work. As a playwright who has had more than 20 productions at the Abbey, Kelroy explains the significance of working with the Abbey. Well, it's, it's huge, actually. And uh, the older I get, the more pronounced this becomes. Um, you're, you're talking about a, not just simply a theatre, but you're talking about a, a tradition. And um, a tradition going back to uh, Yeats and, and Singh and O'Casey. Um, and this is huge. Um, there's also, I think, the uh, what can only be called the Abbey style. And uh, there have been different views of this over the years. Uh, but for me, it's, um, it's something authentic. It's something which is grounded. And um, it has not 
imposed, you know, it comes from the ground up rather than from the mind down. And for that reason, um, you get a um, you get a kind of security in the abbey, you know, which is very important for writers and uh, indeed actors as well. Um, and it's um, you know it's it has to do with that solidity of that tradition that's there behind you, you know, all the time. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Abbey Theatre's Oral History Project. For more information about the archive, visit abbeytheatre.ie.